So I think I've just always had a, a big personality and I think people need to be unapologetic of who they are. You show up who you are. You want to make it feel like they need you just as much as you need them. So just because you have a dream and it hasn't come to fruition, that doesn't mean you let that dream go. It just means that that's not the right time, but you're aligning yourself for the right time. Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that helps professional women access the limitless potential that lies within them. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik, and my mission is to help you find that spark inside you that has the power to transform your career in ways you may not have thought possible. I'm so excited that you're here. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the show. If you are listening in real time the week this episode is out, I hope that you had an amazing Thanksgiving, an amazing holiday if you're in the U.S., and I hope that you enjoyed last week's gratitude episode if you listened. To be honest, I'm still riding the wave of gratitude. For some reason in the past week or so, I've been feeling this surge of gratitude about this podcast and more specifically about the impact of this podcast on you and just the impact that it's having on the women who listen to it. I think when I first started it, I didn't I didn't know if people would find it. I didn't know if people would listen. And so when I see that it's really getting into people's ears and actually changing how you feel, it just makes me feel so filled with gratitude and it makes me feel like I'm living my purpose. That's really what I wanted to do through this show. So that's where I'm at now. And I have a really, a really fantastic interview for you today. This is one of those interviews that is filled with kind of like real talk, raw career advice on advancing and managing career transitions and salary negotiations and very kind of like honest behind the scenes advice. And one of my favorite things about today's guest, Rashida, is that when we talk about confidence and her confidence, she really talks about how that wasn't as much of a struggle for her. And while so many of us I know struggle with confidence, I've struggled a lot with confidence. I know that a big theme on this show is going from not feeling confident to feeling confident. I personally find it really refreshing to also talk to women who just kind of owned themselves and their capabilities and their strength from the beginning. I find it refreshing and inspirational and I hope you do too. And I think that you are going to love Rashida. Before I get into the interview, I wanted to remind you that if you are wanting to grow faster and evolve faster in your career rather than staying where you are and trying to work through it alone, you have the chance to work with me one-on-one. I've been training and studying to become a coach since the summer because I love this stuff and I wanted to deepen my ability to help you and support you both through one-on-one coaching that I'm doing now and also just through the podcast so that I could have a better understanding of change theory and how humans grow and build confidence and accomplish goals because that's such a big ingredient when it comes to you and all of the women who listen to this show feeling successful in their careers. So I've been studying that 
And I'm really excited that I'm going to have my coaching certification at the end of December. So right before we end 2020 and end this wild year and move into 2021, which I am so excited about. And so in 2021, I'm going to be kind of like officially opening my private coaching practice. But right now, I have started coaching and I'm coaching for half price what it will be when I launch while I complete my coaching certification. So what that means is if you are interested in working with me, it is a chance for you to work with me at a much more affordable price while I wrap up my training. And if you've been thinking about reaching out or you're thinking you might need one-on-one help but you're not sure and you have hesitations, one thing I can share with you is that most of the women who are reaching out to me are falling in one of two categories. And so if this is you, it might be a sign that my work is a good match for you. But most of the work that I'm doing and most of the women who are reaching out to me are either working on feeling more stable and confident in their current role So they're feeling a little stretched. Uh, Maybe they've started a new role. Maybe they've been promoted. Maybe they just want to feel more solid and like a strong performer in their current role. That is one category of women I'm working with. And the other category is women who want to have a stronger voice specifically in meetings and who want to find a communication style that is authentic and they want to feel strong and confident and powerful speaking up with meetings. And that is the focus of our work together. So if those are things that you are working on, they are definitely areas that I can help you with. You can, of course, build your confidence and build those abilities on your own. That is what I did. It just tends to move a lot faster when you work with a coach because they have been through what you have been through. They are trained in coaching you. I am trained in coaching you. And most importantly, they can see things that you can't see. And that is why coaching works so well, because you often get stuck in not being able to see what's going well. You get stuck in thinking that there's something quote unquote wrong with you and getting out of those very sticky but unhelpful thought patterns is really, really key to achieving lasting change. And that's a lot of what happens in the coaching process. If you are interested in working with me, if you want to get a chance to work with me for half off while I finish this certification, check out theartofspeakingup.com slash coaching. Or you can go ahead and book a free call with me where I learn about you and I can explain more about the coaching process and how I work with women and what it's like. This is a free call. It's for you to learn about coaching and for you to see my vibe, to see if you feel comfortable around me and it is zero pressure. So I would say if you're thinking of reaching out, don't be afraid to reach out. I I was going to say, I promise I'm not a weirdo. I am a weirdo, (laughs) but not in a way... (laughs) <laughs> that should make you scared to reach out to me. If you've <laughs> if you've listened to several episodes of the show, you probably have a sense of my weirdoness. Like there's not that much of my weirdoness that I don't show on the show. <laughs> so what you see is mostly for the most part what you get. Anyway, if you're looking for support, I look forward to hearing from you. You'll find the link to learn more about coaching and also the link if you want to book a free call with me down in the show notes. And now it is time for today's interview, which is awesome. I hope you love it. And I am so excited for you to listen. Enjoy. 
My name is Rashida Williams. I am a 24-year IT veteran. I have a computer information systems degree, uh, a bachelor's, and I've been gainfully employed in the field ever since. So it's been very lucrative and and long-term for me. I'm kind of ready to dwindle down a little bit, but there you go. (laughs) I chose correctly. So I'm proud about that. (laughs) Okay. We should talk about that more because I think there are probably a lot of people who would hear that and wonder, how can I choose correctly? (laughs) Um, Let's go back to the beginning. What was hard for you at the beginning? You know, it's so funny. And I hate to say this, but I didn't have any challenges. Like I literally, jobs just came to me. People were like, hey, if you ever need a job, just call me. And I could call them like a year later and they would remember who I was. I was so blessed and fortunate that way. Um, I guess I exuded something that people liked. (laughs) So that's all I can say. But um, getting out of college, I got my first job as a programmer at a vending machine company that did like crackers and cookies and things like that. And they gave me this big old stack of code. And I was like, Oh Lord, this cannot be my life. I can't do this. Cause I'm very social and in technology, there's a lot of stigma around like you're just nerdy with the pocket protectors and the, the Urkel glasses. And I'm like, so not that I'm four inch heels. I'm short skirts. And I'm like living my best life in, in a sexy techie way. Um, <laughs> so I got that job and I was like, Jesus, this ain't gonna work for me. So I, I quit in 30 days and, and got a job at Hewlett Packard. And I worked there and uh, that was an amazing story. And I don't want to preempt your questions, but it was an amazing story. I went to Atlanta. I was living in a little town called Columbus, Georgia, which is a military town. And my mother was like, oh my God, you got to come to Atlanta. I'm like, no, it's too big. I'm thinking like in my mind at 21, 22, Atlanta was like the version of New York, right? It was like expensive and busy. And I'm like, I don't know that I can handle it. And so I, after I hated that job I was doing, I said, let me just go open up my, my, my uh, options here. So I interviewed for a couple of jobs in Atlanta. And as I was going to the one job, I remember this friend of mine in college, she kept saying her aunt worked for Hewlett Packard. And now mind you, I'm a techie, but I have no love for technology. I wasn't like that kid who was like cranking out code at five years old. Like that was not my thing. I didn't own a typewriter. Uh, I had a word processor. So, you know, that means I was really, really old. Uh, (laughs) And that was after I graduated high school, I had a word processor. So I was not in it for the love of the game at all. I I don't even know I chose. But anyway, I'm I'm going there and I see Hewlett Packard just as big as day. And I call that girlfriend up from college. I go, does your aunt work at that Hewlett Packard? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm over here. She's, oh, I'll call my aunt and maybe you guys can like meet up for lunch or something like that. I'm like, okay, cool. So I assume I went to the interview I was supposed to go to, but I promise you it was like so gray in my mind. All I remember is going to Gila Packard. I walked through the door and, and I don't know if you have these vibes, right? So I, all, I, I went to college. I always wore suits because I wanted to be a business person. So I projected what I wanted to be. I didn't wear the bonnets on my head and, you know, like I just whirled out of bed and ran to class kind of thing. That was never me. <laughs> I was always like, I'm going to be somebody. I'm going to look the part. I'm going to be the part. So we go over there and I open the door. And I'm like, oh my God, like it's all I could ever imagine corporate life being the sexiness, the hustle and bustle, like all that energy. And I was like, I belong here. And I just said that to myself. I go meet her aunt. And I don't even know to this day how this happened, but I want to get an interview on the spot. Unplanned. It, it was just weird. I don't even, I don't know how it happened. <laughs> and I'm a talker, but they interviewed me for like seven hours straight. And I kept saying, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just graduated. Right. So I don't know any answers to any of your questions. I'm just like, but I'll learn. And I got the job. So random. 
that was not even supposed to happen. And I'm so thankful. So when you asked me what were my challenges, I didn't really have any. They just kind of came my way and fell on my lap. And mind you, I was like six months pregnant at the time and nobody knew. (laughs) So like all this is happening and it was like amazing. Do you feel like you had a certain openness or a certain willingness to just go with things that helped you seize those opportunities? Because if I was in that situation, I would have been like freaking out and panicking. (laughs) So there is something about you, I feel like, that helped you show up in those situations. I think so. People always say I look very confident. I'm a tall girl. I'm 5'10". So I stand out just because, right? But I think there's this concept in technology and it might be in any field you're in. It says fake it till you make it. So I might've been exuding that fake it till I make it in the midst of all that unbeknownst to me. But I think you have to kind of own your stuff. You got to be willing to admit what you don't know and, and embellish what you do know, you know, and, and oversell that if you will, and just have positive vibes. I think that's so important more so sometimes than your technical ability, but you have to have that user friendly aspect about you as well. And I love that you said before how you're wearing heels and you have that side of you and you have your techie side. And I think that that's so important because I think as women, it could be so hard for us to reconcile those different parts of ourselves. Has that felt natural for you? Very much so. I've always wanted to be who I was. There was a show back in the day on USA Network called Silk Stockings, and it was the character name was Rita. And they were like crime scene experts. So she would always go to these crime scenes and like her power suits and her high heels. And I was like, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to look like. Like that was the aura. She just gave off like she owned that whole crime scene, you know, (laughs) blood and guts everywhere. But she's in her suit and her high heels. And so she was like my visual representation of what I wanted to be from a corporate perspective. And I just that's what I did. So it's always funny because I worked. I traveled for a while where I would leave out on Sundays or Mondays and traveled to my customer location for like three days at a time. And I, I eventually got enough miles where I was automatically upgraded to first class. And people would go, what, what do you do? And that was empowering too, because as African-American woman, there weren't many of us sitting in first class, right? And so I'd sit there and I have my suit on, my legs crossed, because I walked through the airport in my foreign chills too. You won't find me in Uggs and slippers and all that. I'm always looking the part because you never know who you're going to run into. That's my belief. And so I'm sitting there I'm sitting there in first class and guys are like, what do you do? And they instantly think I'm a model because I'm kind of slim, but I'm tall. I'm like, no, you not be, you'd be really surprised when I tell you. And I do, I say, I'm an IT person. Like I would have never guessed that. So no one thinks that I am what I am, (laughs) which is kind of funny and cool at the same time. Yeah. I, I'm really inspired by and I really love how you sort of owned wanting to be that powerful woman. Like you saw this woman in the suit and she's just like really badass. And I think a lot of us have that inside of us, have that dream, have that vision. But I know in my experience in my career and a lot of women who listen to this show don't feel like they're there yet. They don't have the confidence that you have and they're not quite exuding what they want to exude or feeling what they want to feel What would you say to them, given your experiences and your perspective? I think, especially if you're in the technology field, it's very male-centric. And I've watched people get ate up in this field, right? Because they come in and they're like, oh my God, he cursed. Oh my God, I can't take it. And like, if the guys see that, like they will wear you out. (laughs) So I became like one of the guys indirectly. And I guess it didn't hurt because I have like, three sons and I had was around a bunch of guys. So I think I was kind of poised for this field, 
because I'm not really overly girly and overly sensitive in that regard. And I knew if you want to run with them, you got to rough them up too. And so I say that to say, if you think about like the housewives of Atlanta, there's Nene Lee. She's like, right. She's that type of person. And then there's someone that's a little more docile. I find that it's easier to go from big mouth to quiet than it is to go from quiet to big mouth. Right. So mm-hmm. like, Oh, you got attitude. That's what they'll say. If you're, you're demure and they graduate to being a big mouth, you're, 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 you have issues and you'll be stigmatized, but it's easier to come in kind of and, uh, and bring it down a notch if you have to. So I think I've just always had a, a big personality and I think people need to be unapologetic of who they are. You show up who mm. you are, you know, and, and a, a good question I asked during interviews is what makes up the demographic of the team? And it's not about black or white, but it's more about, you know, what's the character vibe? You know, are you in, in what's your style of management? Because that helps me determine if I'm going to even fit in what your organization is doing. And so that's your opportunity to find out, will I be a fit for this crowd? You know, mm. what based on your own personal experiences and just by asking the right questions, you can get a good feel for who you need to show up as. Culture is so important. And I feel like when you click into the right culture, it just helps you show up as yourself and then you can perform better because mm-hmm. you don't feel like you're putting a show on for everybody. Right. And and people will either love you or hate you. But I found that, it, you know, I, I rough up guys. <laughs> and I remember back in my earlier years at Gila Packard, there's this one lady, she would tell the customer on the phone, like, that was the dumbest thing ever. Who told you to do that? That was like some dumb shit. Sorry to say that, but, and I'd be like, oh my God, can you say that? And the customer would be like, oh, I love you. I'll call you again tomorrow. And I'm like, seriously? <laughs> like she would manhandle the guys. And of course I didn't do that in my early years, but today I can now be a little more rough with people and say, no, that was kind of crazy. Why'd you do that? LOL. <laughs> you ended with that LOL, right? And they're like, oh my God, like you're amazing. Like, great. I'll beat your butt again tomorrow. Call me again. <laughs> I think people find that refreshing because I think in sometimes in the corporate world, we're kind of craving realness and authenticity. I know I am sometimes because there's so much of this. It's not like people are being wildly fake, but there's just this culture and you kind of know we're all a little more relaxed and different with our friends, with our families. And I think when you see people actually just being themselves and you can tell and you can feel it. It's such a breath of fresh air. Mm -hmm. It is. And I've been on many interview panels and everyone wants to say the right thing, sit the right way. And it's like, just chill, (laughs) you know, show me who you really are. Yeah, for sure. And that's the person that we want to hear from. That's what ends up being interesting. And if people don't like it, then to your point, maybe the cultural fit isn't there to begin with. Right. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's important. You're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. Yeah, for sure. But I think that mindset shift can be hard for people who struggle with confidence. Like I know I would go in interviews and feel like I was so desperate for the job and I had to, you know, prove myself. And it's really empowering to make that shift of I bring value and, you know, you would be really lucky to hire me. But I think that can be hard for some people to get to. It can. Um, and, and that takes, I, I, people say I, that I, I look confident and I'm not always the most confident, but I think I have a take charge kind of dominant personality. And that might be a a great attribute in those situations. But um, I think it's about just knowing what you bring to the table, what your value is. And in that, that should lend a certain amount of confidence. I think that's the first step is knowing what you bring. Like you want to make it feel like they need you just as much as you need them without saying it in such a, you know, cocky kind of way. 
Yeah, I agree. And also, I think what's really helpful is even if you're not feeling that great, like even if you're having a moment of fear, or you're about to go into the interview, and you feel yourself panicking, you could still choose in that moment, like, okay, I feel anxious, I'm not feeling like exactly how I wanted to feel in this moment, but I'm still like, I'm not going to spiral down. I'm still just going to show up for this moment as best I can. Absolutely. And it all I find that because I get that way sometimes I overthink it, I over interview, I over practice and yeah, you know, it gets really crazy. And then it all dissipates when you say the first hello and give that first handshake. It's like, why am I stressed out? Like I got this, yeah. you know, this is what I do. So it shouldn't be that hard. Yeah, for sure. I think sometimes, I don't know how you experience fear, but sometimes for me, when it's in my head, it's really, really big. And then the event itself is so different. It doesn't have that exaggerated quality that I had in my brain. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's usually that way. And you're like, I was like panicking for what again? (laughs) For sure. Yeah. But then there's sometimes where my body's freaking out and it does feel really awful, but I've survived. And I don't know if you've had times like that, but you know, for anyone who is experiencing that, that's normal too. And you get through it and then you're stronger after. Absolutely. You walk away going, what could I do differently? What could I have said differently? And, and that's another thing I tell people a lot of times too. come in with a preset of questions and that can kind of help you um, recalibrate yourself and, and calm down sometimes. And I use that opportunity to kind of derail the interview, frankly, and, and make it, I put them on the hot seat. And that kind of will d- diffuse the climate somewhat, the energy and, and anxiousness that I have when I said, well, let me just talk to you a little bit. What, why do you like this company? Enough about me. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And it, it makes that person, people love talking about themselves. Absolutely. So they're like, they think, oh, I really like that person. But really, it's just because <laughs> you ask them about themselves. Mm-hmm. They like themselves. Now they think they like you. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So I really want to talk about advancement. And I want to squeeze your brain and all of your insights because there are so many women who I think are trying to figure out, okay, how do I set myself up to advance in my company or in my industry or in my field? So I'll start broad and then maybe we'll go a little more narrow. But what what do you think is responsible for your success over the 24 years that you've been in your field? I, I, I don't know if it's a sixth sense I have, but I'm, I'm always ahead of the curve as far as trends. So for example, when I first went to Gila Packard, I had no idea what I was doing. I, I just, I'm just thankful that the stars aligned and it worked out. But I was doing uh, just basically Unix system administration work. And for some reason, like two or three years in, I realized there's more to it than just, if you think about a file cabinet, there's a file and then you open a file up and there's files inside. So I was on, I, I was one file of what I was doing, but there's like 50 other files in this drawer and I needed to learn more about those other files. So I said, well, let me just reach out and, and go interview and do something different. And this was like in the early dot-com day. So everyone was throwing money and cars and stock. They were throwing all kinds of stuff at you just to get you in. And so coming from a big name like Hewlett Packard, I was a hot girl just off of that. Everybody wanted people from Hewlett Packard. So I exploited that. And unbeknownst to me, I was even exploiting it, but I was. And, and I used that opportunity to go add more layers onto my ever-building skill set. And so I think that's important. No matter what you're doing, even if you're the working at Macy's in retail, you find maybe there's opportunity to go be a, a, a shopper or a buyer, go to the conventions and the fashion shows, whatever. Find that and add that to your your layer and it makes you more marketable. It makes you more uh, accessible in the company. People get to know your name, get to know what you do, and it leads to a better promotability path. Did that feel fun to you, that widening of your skills? 
For sure. I mean, I was making more money. I, w- I started at 37.5 at 22 years old, which was amazing money. And by the time I left Hewlett Packard, I was at 75,000 at like 25, 26. Like that was crazy. And I'm like, who does this stuff? So I was like, thank God I picked the right field and thank God I had enough. No, because I mean, I could have gotten there if I stayed at Hewlett Packard. But of course, once you're in the door, your money grows a little bit slower than if you leave and go somewhere else. And that's a message for people who feel like they need to be long time, long timers at places. I frown upon that to a certain degree because I think that you stifle your monetary growth and sometimes your um, internal growth as a person and as a technician or whatever your field of expertise is, because you're not in tune what the world is doing, what the market outside of your company is doing. And you're also lessening your ability to make the money you need to make. But there's comfort in knowing I've been here for 15 years and that's going to fire me. But that comes at a price. So I think you have to, even if you don't leave, you need to go interview once a year with a different company. So therefore, you get a feel for what what's hot and trending in society because your company just might only be focusing on one thing, but the world is doing a whole bunch of other stuff. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I feel like sometimes switching companies can trigger fears because then, you know, I feel like if you have a self-critical brain, it's always looking for things. So when Mm -hmm. you switch companies, I've had my brain say, well, maybe you can only be successful in your current company. And then when you switch, it's not going to work out. And I'm curious if you've ever experienced that or if you felt confident making these leaps. Well, it's it's like leaving a relationship, right? It's like, God, like I need to leave you, but I'm kind of afraid because at least I got somebody versus not anybody. So you get that weird internal stuff happening, even on a corporate level too. But if your eye is on the prize, which is I'm trying to get where I need to be, maybe it's fast track route or whatever. Like to a certain degree, I was chasing money because I felt like if 50s out there, 60s out there, 60s out there, 70s out there. So why should I limit myself to 60 when there's a hundred out there to be had? Let me go get the hundred. So it became like this competition internally to where I felt less sad about losing that relationship, but I always had great relationships. So I knew I could always go back. And I did for the first seven years, I was at Hewlett Packard and then the very first internet bank of the world, back to Hewlett Packard, back to the bank. And that's all I did. (laughs) And that was weird, but it also tells a story of being re-employable, rehirable. And that's what you want to do. You want to leave a company with a good name, a good attitude, and a sense that they want you back. And so even though I left the relationship, I could come back to it. And I love, love, love that you're talking about money because I I really believe that we need to be having more open conversations about money because I think so many women struggle not just with, you know, the pay gap and things like that, but with our own mindset around how much we make, how much we can make, how much we deserve. And I think the more that we openly talk about money, the more it takes some of that away and helps people own their desire for more. So I would love to dig more into that with you if you want to go deeper. Yeah, absolutely. I I remember... I worked for IBM and there was this girl, she was interviewing and I ran into her in the bathroom and she kind of reminded me of my younger self when I was first getting hired. And I said, are you coming to interview? She said, yeah. And I said, uh, what are you interviewing for? And she said, whatever it was. And I said, okay, well, who, who's interviewing you? And it wound up being my manager. I said, okay, well, here's a little insight about him. And I said, well, and I don't know how much they're offering you, but you want to stay between here and there. So I like briefed her on all this in the bathroom. <laughs> And we're friends to this day. <laughs> we've worked together in two different companies that we've just kind of brought each other along for the ride. But I think that that was an important moment because it quelled any anxiety and fear she had 
And to know that someone was willing to share that moment, albeit in the bathroom, you know, to say, hey, here's some tips and tricks. Ask these questions and make sure you look this way. Make sure you say these things. Because I had been in the business, gosh, maybe 10 years at that point, And she was fresh out of college. So I, I just saw and could empathize with what she was going through. And I knew she wanted the job. So, yeah, I think it's important to have these money conversations because, you know, for so long it was like, oh, my God, don't tell anybody what you make. And, and there's value in that too. But at the same time, it, it less, especially for women, I want to empower them to go, don't settle for 50 if they're really giving out 70. But a lot of that comes with you got to own that you are worth 70 and you also have to own that you know what you know. And you got to exude that and, and radiate that. And, and that makes a difference. Yes. When you feel good about yourself, then the money conversation is much easier. When you don't feel good about yourself, the money conversation, I know from experience, is so painful and horrific for right. me. It's like, I think I, I'm worth this, but I don't know. Do you think I am? It's like, that's a whole different conversation. And okay, I believe I'm going to need this money. And I've done that. I, I tell a great story and it happened to me um, when I was working at the internet bank. And, and I, I, there's a time and, and I empower people to exploit vulnerabilities in companies. So as part of my interview process, I'll ask, for example, why are you looking for someone? Is it because of natural attrition? Is everybody quitting on you? I mean, are y'all, is your business growing? Like, I want to know. They may lie, but usually they don't. And, and so that gives me a good idea of, oh, like in one, my last job, they had lost their admin. And so I'm like, oh, okay. So nobody, so they're just making people do this work, but they're not good at it because they don't know what they're doing. Vulnerability. So that now means I can ask for maximum money. So a recruiter had called me and uh, she says, okay, well, you know, recruiters, I don't know if any of your listeners are recruiters, bless their hearts, but they mean well. <laughs> but they just feed off buzzwords, right? Oh, are you a this, this, this? They just look at your resume and go, oh, she's a techie, she's a this, she's a that. Good. I'm sending you over to XYZ company. And she goes, oh, well, the rate is whatever it is, right? And I'm like, okay, sounds halfway decent, but I'm asking a bunch of questions because my numbers change if I got to do overtime, if I got to work 24 by seven, if I'm in a call center or if I'm just doing project-based work. And she's, oh no, you won't ever have to work overtime. None of that. I'm like, okay, girl, okay. But I'm looking at her sideways. So I get an interview with the manager and I'm like, well, what does a day-to-day in the life look like for someone on your team? And he goes, oh yeah, well, you know, there's like three of us and we do 24 by seven on call and there's a rotation of three men. Now she didn't mention that. See, now my numbers have just changed based on this conversation. And so I went back to the recruit and I said, you know what? I, I like what you said, but I'm going to take what he said because he lives his life. He's the manager. He knows more than you do. With that being said, I'm going to literally need you to increase my, my rate by $20 an hour. <laughs> she was like, what? I'm like, yeah, that's the price paid. But I already knew there was a vulnerability there because they needed someone like me with my skill set for this role because there was nobody there. And I promise you, I got the money. That's incredible. Did you, as your salary went up, did you feel like you deserved it or was there a mental struggle there? Heck no. (laughs) I I owned it and I believe I deserved it. And I was like, and I actually went and asked for a raise once to my director. I said, I want to get a little bit of your time. Again, I had just exploited vulnerability. I had saved the day. I was the only one who could fix something. And I'm not saying I'm like the best person ever, but I have enough knowledge and insight to know when it's your time to make your move like a snake, right? He's like, I'm scoping you out and he gets you right. 
I do that from a business perspective. I'm like, okay, well, what's different here? Oh, we're getting new management. Okay, this is an opportunity. Oh, like they're losing business. Here's an opportunity. Like you find those things and then you have to work it how you need to work it. So I went into them maybe a couple of weeks afterwards and I said, hey, you know, I think I should talk to you about uh, getting a raise. And he says, oh, you think so? I'm like, yeah. And um, he said, why do you feel that way? I said, well, because I did this, 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 and this. And the thing is you go in with uh, facts, not emotion. And I said, I saved the day on this one. I did that. And you keep it neutral. You're not like overly exploiting. Like I'm the best. I'm a badass. You need me. It's not like that, but it's more like, here's factual things. I did this. I did that. I did this. And I believe for someone who does these sort of things, this is what the streets are paying. But that being said, I'm asking you to increase my pay. And he said, well, what number are you thinking about? At the time, I don't know. I might've been at like 69, 70. I said, I think I need about 77,000. And he said, okay. And he said, I'll let you know. Well, for me, I felt like, that was the first time I'd ever done something like that before. So it was kind of nerve wracking, but I was kind of empowered after I had did. I was like, oh, okay, you did that girl. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. The worst that could happen is he was going to say yes or no. I knew he wasn't going to fire me because I just saved the day. So he came back a day or so later and he says, okay, you know what? I'm going to give you that, what you asked for. It was a director, actually. I went above my manager. It just went right to the top. <laughs> you know, that's one of the beauties of when you work in corporate America, you want to have as many people know your name. The natural propensity is for people to go, I'm just going to go and do my little job and leave at five o'clock, right? But that doesn't lead to promotability and financial gain either. So I learned that early too. Let people know who you are and what you do. And so that was important. So I didn't overstep my manager, but it was like, hey, you know, you can't really give me what I need. I got to go to the guy who can. And I was so thankful in that moment because I felt empowered having enough balls to ask because <laughs> you also have to understand I was the only African-American female in this technology group of a bunch of dudes. And so that was meaningful on so many different levels because I am a woman and I was a minority and I had the, the ability and the goals to even ask for a raise and, and it worked out and I got it. And I was so thankful. It was more than I could have ever imagined for myself. And so I tell, I say that story to help people realize that, you are your own entity in corporate America. You are you, Inc. You are your best cheerleader. You know how to sell yourself the best. So don't wait for others or wait for a review to come in and then someone decide, oh, well, I think you're only worth 5% increase. You got to own that thing and do little milestone major moments during that year that you can bring that up later. Anytime someone sends you an accolade, a project manager or someone on your team says, oh, that was a great job you did, stash that away. Because when it's time for a review, these are things that you can use to bring up that are factual, that aren't just you saying, I think I'm wonderful, but 10 other people think I'm wonderful too. And that translates into money. Oh, absolutely. Your stories and the point that you made too about people around you and really thinking about all of the different people and all the roles that those people play, I think is so important. I do think that some women struggle with that because I think if your confidence isn't up to where you want it to be. I know for me, one of the first things I did was kind of like hide <laughs> and try to like, <laughs> you know, do the opposite, be in the presence of as few people as possible. And it's really important to, for people to test that belief that they should hide away and that they shouldn't connect because once you start doing it, you realize people want to hear from you. They want to connect with you. And I'd be curious if you have any thoughts for someone who isn't necessarily as proactive about connecting because maybe they're being really hard on themselves and maybe they don't see how talented they are. Well, yeah. I mean, think about it. When I first got out of college, I'm at Hila Packard. I'm six months pregnant. Nobody knows. Like that's stress because I'm like, oh my God, if they find out like, will they fire me? Like what's going to happen? 
So my thing instantly was, I'm going to go in here and shine like never before and create like this go get it attitude. So therefore, when I go drop the bomb, that oh, by the way, I'm leaving in like three months to have a baby and I'll be gone for six weeks. Like no one would totally drop their mouth, even though they did, <laughs> you know, but I was like, I had kind of gotten in there and showed that I had this go get it spirit. So I think it's okay to kind of fade the back a little bit, but until you can get your feet wet and you understand like the lay of the land and stuff like that. I think that's natural with any position coming in, but at some point you find your sweet spot, you find those people that you can kind of rub elbows with that can help you. You're in it together. Right. And they're like, okay, we're going to do this. And I think that helps to build the momentum, the the character, the the confidence, et cetera. And I think where I want to go next is mindset versus action. And when it comes to advancing, when it comes to being a little bit more strategic about getting promoted and making more money, can you speak to your experience of mindset versus action? I'll, I'll say it this way. When I had my sons, I have three, as little kids, I used to always tell them, you're a winner right? They didn't even know if that meant, but they knew it was something they wanted to be affiliated with. So if ever they were doing something wrong at one or two, I'm like, that's not being a winner. Well, I want to be a winner. Well, do you know what a winner is? So just putting that in their mind made them think, even now, my oldest is 24. I've got a 17-year-old and a 15, 14-year-old. And I'm like, are you being a winner? Well, no. Okay. I need you to switch up and become a winner. (laughs) And so I think no one did that for me. And I don't know where I got it to do it for them. But I think when you start to believe that and say that, then it, it, it's ingrained in you and it kind of becomes a part of who you are and, and you, you walk that way. You know what I mean? So I think that's where the mindset is. And then once you get that, that mentality and that mindset, because for me, my story was being, having lost my mother at eight and being separated from my sisters. My mother died very young, 27. And my dad was like a pimp and he had had her doing drugs and like all this stuff was going on. And so there was this stigma around the family that, oh, they're going to be like their mother and father and nobody wants like bad kids or whatever that thing is. And so for me, I think that was a defining moment for me, even at a young age. And I don't know where it came from, but something in me said, you got to be better than this situation. You are not your parents. You are not that circumstance. And so for me, it was failure wasn't an option period. So I worked the magic. I worked what I could, which was my mind. And I became very good as a student. I graduated with a 3.8 GPA. And I was like, I'm going to be somebody when I grow up. I thought I'd be CEO, but I guess I am CEO of Rashida.com. But, (laughs) you know, it's a little different meaning of being a CEO, but that was the, that was what drove me. It wasn't, you know, my role model wasn't Oprah or somebody like that. It was just my own internal drive to not be what my circumstances that predetermined that I was going to be. That is so inspirational. And I think it speaks to this idea of, you know, we all have difficult things, whether it's a big thing in our life, or sometimes we're just in a low period or having a difficult moment. And it's so easy to paint the future bleakly if we don't remind ourselves that we're deciding on the future. And I think it's so empowering to hear that from you. And it's so helpful for us to remember that even, you know, for anyone listening who's maybe going through something difficult or not feeling great about themselves, that doesn't preclude what could happen next. It doesn't preclude how you could evolve and what resonated for me with what you said is it doesn't preclude whatever vision you could set for yourself, even if you're not at the vision yet. Exactly. You are not your circumstances. Your circumstances don't define you. You get to define and write your own story. And I think that's important. People have to take ownership for that in relationships, 
and, and in business because they're all some level of a relationship. So how do you want to show up in that relationship? How do you want to be viewed in that relationship? You get to set the tone for that. Yeah, I think that's so important. And I do think it's a pivot that a lot of women have to make because you have to take a leap to believe in yourself and and sort of, especially if you aren't fully confident, you just have to take a leap of faith that says, okay, I'm not feeling great now. I'm not exactly where I am, but I'm just going to believe that change is possible. I'm just going to dream big and set a goal and start changing in little ways, even though I don't quite see it yet. I'm not quite changed yet. I'm not quite confident yet. It requires some faith. And I think it requires even a little bit of audacity to believe in yourself that way. Absolutely. And someone said the other day on Facebook, something about if you had a dream, why haven't you reached your dream? And I responded back, well, the big thing is that you have a dream and there's no expiration date on a dream. You know, I I dream, I want to be X, Y, Z. And it's all about timing. It's about things happening when they're supposed to happen sequentially. So just because you have a dream and it hasn't come to fruition, that doesn't mean you let that dream go. It just means that that's not the right time, but you're aligning yourself for the right time. And and that's how I look at that. Yeah. I also think that at least I've seen this in my life, you know, when we're rushing to something, it's because we're skeptical that it's not going to work. So we're in a hurry, you know, it takes confidence to allow something to unfold and to allow for slowness, I think. Yeah. Anytime I've try to force something to happen. It usually doesn't end well. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, you know what? Take a step back, breathe, you know, you have to, there's amount of faith, like you said, in action followed by faith, but there's a reason why this isn't working. And you may not see it today, but in that pause, then it'll all become clear that, Oh, I remember my team was uh, looking for a new manager because my manager was going to get promoted. And I applied for the job myself and this external candidate who was like a a temporary worker in my company. And so we were both up for the position. Well, they gave it to me, but it was with a dot, dot, dot. We'll test run you for six months and then we'll give you the money to bet if you can prove that you can do this job. And I took, I took exception to that. And I said, no, you wouldn't do that to him because he's not going to have that happen, first of all, right? So why would you think you can just test drive me as an employee? So I, I didn't take the job. He got the job, but here's the funny part, the blessing in disguise. Well, it's sad, but funny at the same time, but (laughs) no one would ever even write down that this deal was happening. If I had taken that job, they were like, oh no, we're not going to put that in writing. And I'm like, the way this company works, people are in and out of these doors like every other week. So I can't bet on that, that you'll be here come six months. And I say, well, Bobby said I'm supposed to get this $10,000 raise and I've done my job for six months. It'd be he say, she say. So I even knew that much, right? So I don't take the job. They give it to the guy. He winds up getting fired and so does my existing manager. So both of them got laid off. And so that was just the, the spirit's way of saying that job was not meant for you because what wound up happening is they gave me the money for the job without having to do the job. Oh, because I, I, I fought that one. I went to HR. It so happened. This is about relationships. You never know who you're going to come across in your life. And when I was in college during like MLK month, um, we had the speaker coming from Atlanta. He was a lawyer. And um, at the time, he just did family law and, I guess, uh, bankruptcies and things like that. Anyway, later on, he became the president of the Atlanta chapter of the EEOC. And I didn't know that. But I just happened to call him because we kind of had a rapport and relationship. And I said, hey, this happened to me. He goes, well, you know, the, the, the VP of the Atlanta chapter EEOC, right? And I'm like, no. He was like, you need to go fight. You don't need to accept that. And I already knew that, but I didn't know it was a risk, right? You, you cry, you go against the system. Sometimes that can work against you. But he was like, you should do that because that's wrong. 
And so I went up to HR and I said, I, I, I demand justice for this because you hired this guy, you wouldn't give him the money, you wouldn't give it to me, and that's not okay. And I'm here to say that is not okay and that is unacceptable. And they talked about it, did their little thing in investigating, and that's how they wound up giving me the money without giving me the role. And it worked out for me because the role went away and everybody that was in that role got fired. <laughs> so I was like, thank you, Lord. So that was a, an example of not forcing a process. You walk away from it, let it just do what it's going to do, and then you fight it a different way. And you can still get the results you're looking for. Because I don't want the management job. I just want the money, to be quite honest. <laughs> <laughs> and that takes confidence. And that takes a sense of worthiness. Because I think it is tempting to say, oh, well, I want this job so badly. I want to prove myself. Okay, like I'll do it in this crappy arrangement that they're trying to offer. And I think it takes a lot to say no to that. And then to go and ask for what it is you want. And I think it's so important because when you do that and the more that happens, then hopefully these institutions will change over time saying, okay, people are not saying yes to this. People are complaining about this. Maybe we should stop doing this. Absolutely. And just exposes, you know, sometimes these companies have like leadership that's been there for days and years and it becomes like this good old boy network. We've all heard that phrase. And, and so they don't do better because no one's challenging the system. Everyone just goes away quietly and says, okay, I'll just keep doing my little job. But I've always been a fighter, like a rebel with no cause, like half my life. <laughs> so I think that's just who I am. When something's being, when someone is being wronged or something is going wrong, I, I want to fight for the other person even. Cause I'm like, no, that's not how that should have happened. Let's go, let's go take on the system. And that's how I've always been. It's so inspirational, too, because I think a lot of women, it doesn't even occur to them to do that, I think. I think a lot of women are feeling like they should just be as low-key as possible and not shake things up. And I think it's really important to hear stories like yours about doing these things and taking action. And it doesn't work out 100% of the time, but over time, in general, it puts you on a much better trajectory because sometimes it works out in a major way. And, you know, it's it's all of these actions that you've taken cumulatively over the years that have gotten you to where you are now. Well, that's, I have this little phrase I say, have resume, will travel. <laughs> so there, there's a, this one part, and I'll tell people this, you know, there's the money dynamic and then there's the what's in it for me dynamic. And so at a certain point in your career, you get to the point where you go, it's not really about, you know, uh, maybe training or whatever thing is. It's more about, well, how many vacation days am I going to get? Can I work from home? Can I, can I, can I? So that's where I'm at in my life right now. It's like, what's in it for me? And so when things don't go right, I go have resume, we'll travel. I was looking for a job when I came here. I can look for a job again. But the key is while you're here, get what you need out the deal. So therefore you're that much more marketable when you take that resume and go travel, <laughs> you know? So you make it seem like, well, you're going to lose me. I'm not really going to lose in this deal because I'm going to make more money. I'm going to learn some more stuff. And I just kind of pimped you out for all this knowledge for free. And so that's some, to a certain degree, you kind of got to look at it from a self, selfish perspective. Because it should be about as much as what's in it for them as a hiring company as it is for you. What are you getting out of this? And you have to own that. That made me think about how we have our projects at work. And the one project that we always have going is the project of our career. And what if we put the same energy into us and all of the things we're building for our resume and our experience and ourselves as we do into all of the stuff that we create for our company and for the people around us. And imagine if all of us approached it that way. And I, I, I implore the younger people who are just getting out of college or whatever. I'm like, okay, well, yeah, you're not, you may not be making like $100,000 a year, but you can make up that difference by just going in there, soaking up everything you can. And I just did a talk on this the other day. It, it goes along with those exploiting vulnerabilities. 
you go in, you know, there's going to be that guy who thinks he knows everything. And you really realize this guy knows nothing, but everyone thinks he's amazing because they're, I'm not going to say as dumb as him, but they just don't know what they don't know either. So <laughs> he looks amazing because there's nobody to challenge his intellect or what he thinks he knows. Right. So you can go in and you can exploit him or you can go find that hole where nobody wants to go into. And you say, OK, no one, everyone's fighting this particular role or this job or this function for some reason. But this could be your moment to shine. Go be the subject matter expert in that thing nobody else wanted. And that gives you long term longevity in the company that basically helps you write your own ticket because they now see that, wow, like we had a gap here. We were paying all these external consultants $3,000 an hour just to fix some stuff that we couldn't get anybody internally to do. But now that you can do it, you can now state your own, your own case. And, and that's important. And people need to realize that part of the business as well. Mm, it's so powerful. And it really reminds me of your story about the file cabinet where you were like, well, what are, what's in all the other files? And I think it speaks back to curiosity and constantly just looking at what's happening around you and getting curious and allowing yourself to observe, observe and soak in. And that can really lead you then to your next big thing, because all of a sudden you've built expertise or you have this awareness that other people don't have. And if the market's, if it's a good, good enough thing, the market will pay you for it at the end of the day. So you've won all across the board. One more question I want to ask you before we pivot into another section of the interview. How do you get yourself out of a negative mindset spiral or do you experience them first? Oh, of course I do. Um, There's days when I feel like, God, I just have done nothing today. Like I suck at work. I've done jack. (laughs) And and then there's days when I'm like, well, that's perfectly fine because like I did a whole bunch last week. (laughs) But you got to realize I'm 24 years into the game. So I'm a little lazy in certain ways. I'm kind of coming down. Um, But I would not suggest that to people who are going up at all. But I think um, you have those ebbs and flows in any job where you feel like, God, I didn't do enough today. And then there's days you're like, God, they really worked the death out of me. They earned all their money out of me. Right. And, And so you just have to be okay with being okay with that balance or imbalance on certain days and realize you know, it's going to be that way. When I'm on my team meetings, I had one yesterday. He's like, oh, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, nothing. <laughs> I used to be like trying to come up with all these romantic answers. And I said, you know what? Nothing. <laughs> Just like that. It's, like, it's going to be that way sometimes. You're not always going to be busy. You're not always going to be up. And, and that's okay. You know, you want to minimize that, of course. But I think that's just part of being real too. Because I know you're not doing nothing either, but I'm not doing anything. You ain't doing nothing either. So quit playing. We're humans. We have bodies. Our bodies get tired. As women, our bodies are cyclical. Uh, We need so much more space for that in the corporate world, in my opinion. And and the good news is this is something, too, when you're interviewing for a job. I look at, and I found this unscientifically, it's usually men hiring, right? And even women, too. If these people don't have children or have a sense of family, it's a rougher road when you're working in those type of environments. And I say that because like, if you have a kid and you need to go, little Johnny just got hit. Oh my God, I gotta go. I gotta leave because my kid's been hurt and I gotta go. If that manager of yours has children or a sense of family, they'll say, okay, well, we'll see you tomorrow. I'll take care of that. If they don't, they're like, okay, well go handle it and be back online in about an hour. See the difference. There's empathy versus non-empathy. One's a workhorse and one is more like, I get the whole family thing and that crap happens and it's okay. And so those are important things to look at too, because when you find those kind of people who are more like your situation, there's more latitude to be who you need to be all across the board, the mom, the wife, the, you know, all those things and still be the worker as well. And everybody gets it. 
the other people who are just trying to just climb that ladder and they're tuning out even the wife at home. I, I tend to not like that style of manager because they don't get what I'm trying to get or what I need out the deal. What is your best advice to moms? Don't get so easily stressed out. You know, like I said, when I had my first son, I was fresh out of college, fresh in the workforce. And so I was like, oh my God, I'm going to hurry, wish these six weeks away and get back to work. And it was at the expense of my son. Now, I probably couldn't have controlled that. You only get six weeks and it is what it is. And I wasn't going to get to, oh my God, let me take a whole year off and be with my kid. And I'm just starting a career. Like, I didn't think that was a good idea at all. But sometimes I think we overthink things so much and we get in our head, which means we then get in our way. And the world is probably not even thinking any of the stuff you're thinking. <laughs> you know how you're walking down the street and you trip and you go, somebody somewhere saw it and you're thinking, God, the street's empty. Nobody should have saw that. But there's that one guy in the window that's looking, right? And you're like, dang. <laughs> and it's the same way when you build up all this stuff in your head, you're thinking everyone's talking about you and everyone's thinking this, this, and this. And in real life, no one's even caring. And so I would say just relax and, and let it be what it is. And I don't think we have to apologize for being parents or apologize for if we need to leave early or, you know, go pump milk or whatever the thing is. We, we have to help them get over it because it's going down regardless. Mm, such a good <laughs> reminder. We need to remind ourselves of that over and over and over again. And I want to talk about all of your hobbies and passions outside of your tech career. You have so many. There were a few that I was interested in, but I'll throw it to you to share whatever you want to share. Well, I think that it's important to have balance in your life, right? Being a mother, being a worker, being a, a, a spouse, that takes a lot out of you. And so you have to have a way to vent. And so I think part of who I am as a person, I'm naturally curious, I'm naturally analytical. I, I had to find some release. So the first thing I did was I, I committed to myself right out of college that every year I'm going on vacation. Because I've seen so many people who work, 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 work. I was like, what are you working for? To pay the car, to pay the house, and to pay for a private school? Like, that's not living. That's just, like, the worst life ever in, in some ways, in my opinion, because you don't have a way to release. Those people who stay on their job and have, like, three million hours of, of personal time off that they never use. I'm afraid them kind of people. I think they're crazy. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? Like, you're the one that's going to go postal up in here one day because you're like wound up way too tight, <laughs> you know? And, and so I, I, I'm so thankful that in my 20s, I, I committed myself to doing that. And I didn't have a lot of money, but I knew I was going to get a tax return every year. So I was like, if nothing else, I'm going to get at least $1,500 back from the government. And I would just call that my uh, saving plan by force. <laughs> And so I would start out like going to Jamaica, going to the Bahamas or something like that, which is where my money would allow. But I was still committed to the cause. And over the years, as my money grew and, you know, my desires changed, I've branched out internationally and, and done that sort of thing. So I thought that was the first thing that became a, uh, a lifestyle and a habit for me offside the court. Because I think you have to have life off the court. And so that was one of the things that I do just to bring back sanity. And I travel by myself. I travel with my husband. I travel with girlfriends and I travel with my kids. So I, I like to have balance even in my travel. There's days I'm like, I got to go for me or I'm going to be real crazy in this house. Y'all need to leave me alone and I'm out for a week and I'll go across the world by myself. And my husband's like, oh, okay, I don't like it, but it's cool. I'm like, thank you. And then that's that. Um, and I also like tinkering. I didn't realize 96 was a big year. I graduated college in 95, December. I got a job in March. I bought a car the week before I had my son. I had my son in June and I bought a brand new house in that December, all at the age of 23. <laughs> so it was a big year. And, um, and I've never slowed down since, but I just felt like there's 
a life order for me and I was going to achieve it. And in getting that first house out of college, that started my DIY stuff, unbeknownst to me. I started painting and hanging wallpaper and putting up backsplashes. And now I'm just an animal at all of that. I just do all kinds of crazy stuff. So yeah, it was just my commitment to living a, a good life and the life that I had desired for myself that created all of these talents and off the court things that I like to do. And I'd love to hear about Minor IT. I hope I pronounced it correctly. And mm-hmm. just about your podcast and your website. <laughs> Minor IT is a, it's a uh, spinoff of Minority Women in STEM. So it's called Minor IT. Um, and, and that was a passion project I did a few years back. Being an African-American woman or minority in technology, there's not a lot of people like me. Even now, there still isn't. And, and so I wanted to bring awareness to that. So part of what I do when I publicly speak is talk about getting into the field. I don't want to teach you how to program or any of that sort of stuff, but I just want to be a face to say, hey, we don't look like nerds. We, we can be cute and classy and all that. And, you know, defy the stigmas that people feel about going into technology. Do you have to be super duper smart? Do you have to be this, that, or the other? So I went back through all my years and I found several women, some not in the business anymore and some doing different roles in technology. And I wanted to highlight them. So I planned a photo shoot and we, everybody came together and, we, and I did like this video montage where people talked about their personal experience as a woman, a minority woman in technology. So we had like an Indian girl, had some, some black women, all of us were minorities and we all had similar yet different stories and um, experiences. And I thought that was great. And I just, that was a passion project. So I had a good time doing that. And I'd love to hear about your podcast, your website, and just how people can find you on the internet. So I, part of my travel spawned my website, randomlyrashida.com. So my screen name on Instagram, all social media is at randomlyrashida without the O. And it's because like I do so many things. I couldn't figure out how to have a website for travel, a website for technology, a website for cooking, a website is just too many websites, right? So I'm like, well, I'm random. So I'll just be randomly Rashida. And that covers all that crap. <laughs> so, and, and people know me like, this chick is so random. Like, what is she going to do next? Like they have no idea the people who really, really follow me. And so that gave birth to the, uh, the website. And then I just started adding little tabs for DIY and tabs for cooking and things like that. Because what I found is that one thing kind of led to the other. My travel inspires my design decorative choices, and it also de- defines some of the ways I cook, the flavors I infuse. It all comes from like the travel. So they all really hook together in some kind of way, which is very interesting. Um, so I did that. And then this summer, well, right when COVID hit, my husband and I, we went to Iceland and Finland, which was amazing. So have to go. I want to go back to Iceland even now. Beautiful, beautiful country. And right after that, COVID hit. And the interesting thing for me out of COVID was that I had a lot of time on my hands and I didn't realize that. Like I would go sit outside and drink my tea and have my laptop and just sit there and listen to the birds and the trees billowing. And like, that was like Zen, but I'm like, I got like a lot of time on my hands. And so I started a Facebook group, which became like my online talk show of sorts um, called how do I dot, 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 which again is kind of random, right? How do I dot, 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 apply for a job? How do I dot, 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 uh, deal with a bankruptcy or a foreclosure? So all these things that had happened in my life, I was going to use those as testimonials to help somebody else and empower them and help them see themselves and me and that you can overcome a bankruptcy. You can overcome a foreclosure and a divorce and all the calamity that goes along with that. And then just out of natural progression, cause that's video format. Natural Progression started my uh, Real and Random podcast, which is the name of the podcast, Real and Random. And that's the audio version of the video format of my talk show. 
and it's again, it's a different segment of people because not everybody's on the same platforms, right? So I was like, okay, podcasters are a different crowd than IGers and Facebookers. And it's an audio version of kind of the same stuff where I'm just being real and honest. And I'm, my, my tagline says, everybody has a story and I'll start by sharing mine. And I feel like what we're doing here now, as you share stories, you empower people, you help them see themselves in you, you help them help themselves to say, well, if she can, why can't I? And that's pretty much the bottom line. Nothing we're doing here is amazing or fabulous or makes you think that it's a one-off. You know, even with my sisters, I tell them, I'm like, I got a degree and I got these nice cars or houses or whatever that thing is they think I have that's so wonderful. It's not that I'm extra wonderful. It's just that I did it and so can you. That's all I'm trying to demonstrate. It's that, you know, with a little bit of hard work, tenacity and, and go get it, you can have all these things too. Nothing separates us from Oprah but a few dollars. She started out the same way. People liked her and it just kind of took off. So that can happen to anybody with duplication or replication. So that's where all that kind of spawned from. Wonderful. And I'll link your website and your podcast below. And now this is my favorite part of the interview. And I'm really looking forward to hearing your answers to the closing questions. Um, The first one is a career advice question. And I've been asking guests to share one thing that they want someone listening to do today or this week to help further their careers? I would say do a self-inventory, like brain dump, like everything you're good at, because we so often dismiss even the littlest thing, right? And it's like having a brag book. Someone said, you have to tout yourself, be the champion for yourself. So that means write down the successes that you've had in your career, write down the things that you know, uh, the, the applications you know, the all that stuff, the people, you know, like do self inventory because that's going to help you when it comes time to reach back. Everybody that I've ever worked with, I can reach out to, to this day and say, Hey, you guys hiring, whether you're my vice president, my CEO, or the guy next to me, that's now a director at XYZ company, which means also never discount people just because they look crazy and don't do a lot of work today. They might be somebody later. You just never know. So that would be my advice. And the next question is about this theme that I've been exploring, that we have big goals, big dreams, but sometimes we move towards those goals in tiny moments. Have you had a tiny moment in your career that really stayed with you and represented either an up level in your confidence or just a shift in the way that you show up or the way you see the world? I took this one job and it was, I felt like I had gone back and died and went to kindergarten. It was the worst job ever. It was the best job in the worst job. The, the work was amazing. And I love that. <laughs> this job had me like with muscle aches. And I tell my manager, every time I walk through the door, like my ankle hurts and my knee hurts. And when I leave, everything goes away. The job was stressing me out because <laughs> it was the first time that I had to do inventory. And I realized it's the first time I ever worked with a bunch of chicks. And that was very stressful. And that doesn't happen in, in IT. You don't work with a bunch of women. It's always dudes. And I, that's what I was used to. But these chicks were so catty. And oh my God, what are you wearing? And oh my, it was the worst. I quit after six months. I couldn't take it any longer. And I had gotten a, a, a sign-on bonus for like $5,000. And when I quit, they wanted the money back. And I was like, oh, heck no. <laughs> You're not getting this money back. This job was nerve wracking. You're not getting this money back. But I think in that moment, I learned it's not always about the pursuit of money. There has to be a leveling off point where you go, if I never make more than this in my life, I'm okay. And that's where I am today. I mean, my, at my highest in my career, I made a quarter of a million dollars a year, literally. And that wasn't even being CEO or vice president. That was just being regular or regular old me. And that job was amazing for the money, but I hated the work. 
And then I get this job that was hand delivered by a VP from another company I worked for who called and said, hey, I need you to take this job. How much money do you want to make? And you can work from home. Tell me what you need. And I need you to say yes. Literally, that's how I have the job I have right now. So relationships matter. And I'm taking a major pay cut going from a quarter of a million dollars to where I am today. But the balance of my life, the peace and tranquility I have, the flexibility to travel, the flexibility to podcast and do all these other things that I love, more than makes up for the money. So yeah, I think having that calibrated sense to say when is enough, you have to have that. And that creates inner peace and power in its own way. Mm, Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because we're so programmed that more money is better. Mm -hmm. I think it could take a while to realize that you're not happy and sort of see past the money. And I relate to the shiny object. Like There's the shiny thing. And then (laughs) you're like, wait, I don't like this. (laughs) Right, right. Not always greener on the other side, per se. But, you know, it was fun while it lasted because I wilded out with all that money. But at the end of the day, I'm much more happy of a person today with less money. I feel like we learn things too from those projects, those roles, those positions where we were just, you know, you're like, Mm-mm. <laughs> nope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you do. You go, okay, I'll never do. I always tell my children and people that I'm around, we need to include before we exclude. So I say, you never know what you don't want to do until you've at least tried it. Because the thing that you don't, I don't know if you're married or have been married, but I remember when I went to go, I'm in my second marriage, but the first marriage, I had this vision of what kind of dress I was going to wear. And I tried that thing on. I said, I look horrible in this dress. And I wound up picking a dress that was not even on my radar. It was probably on the do not buy list. And that just shows, drives home the point of you never know until you try. And, and, and that's the imagery that I always go back to is that wedding dress. What I thought was what I needed versus what I wound up getting. And the two were not on the same radar at all. Couple more. So the second to last question is about the title of the show. The show is called The Art of Speaking Up. And I love to hear each guest's perspective on what they think that means or what that means to them. I think the art of speaking up means you have to own your stuff. You have to own the things that are happening to you. So many people are victims. We've heard people say, oh my God, I hate this job, hate this job, but they're there for 20 years later. So did you really hate the job or were you just running your mouth? You know what I mean? (laughs) So when, when you speak up, you also have to put action towards it. Don't be the type that just calls wolf, right? You cry wolf. I hate this job. I'm quitting tomorrow. I'm quitting this day. Do it. If that's how you really feel, don't just be stuck. You have the power to change any and everything that's wrong about your life, your situation, your job, your relationship. It's not a death sentence. It's not a life sentence. Change it. Just that simple. Mm, I love that. And The final question, I put this in because I created this show essentially because I was going through a difficult time in my career and I didn't really have true empowerment that felt empowering to me. So I wanted this show to speak to women who maybe have big goals, big dreams, but they're struggling or they're having a difficult time. And I like to give this last space to the guests to speak to anyone listening who is looking to feel more confident, feel stronger, um, but who might not quite be there yet. I believe there's power in who you let in your circle, right? Um, The power of attraction. I, at some point, wanted to be a lawyer and people think I should have been one even to this day because I'm all in. I will challenge you. I will fight. I'm like that chick. And I started gravitating towards people. There's something we said about like-minded people attract to like-minded people. Money follows money. Broke follows broke. Maybe I don't know, but <laughs> you know. Um, and so, whatever it is that you aspire to be or do, surround yourself with those type of people. Reach out to those type of people. Nothing or anyone is off limits at all. Look, I'll write a CEO quick to this day. 
something's gone wrong in my life or I feel like I'm being unjust in a situation. I don't care who it is. I'll figure out who the CEO is. And I'm like, dear so-and-so, let me tell you what happened. And I'll get the results I'm looking for. So you have to behave and will yourself to the results you're looking for. And then it's all about the company you keep as well. If you have negative Nellies, get rid of those negative Nellies. Or you file them over here in, in negative land. And you, you can reach out to them every now and again. But then you have like this sphere of like positive people that you work with. And, and then you have like, like for, in my personal life, I have like my Christian friends, right? Then I have my go get them girlfriends that are like, girl, shoot his tires out, scratch his face. You know, I got those girlfriends. <laughs> and then you have the biblical ones that say, well, according to John, X, one, two, and three, this is not what we do, right? And, and then you got the girls who are like, I don't even care. I'm just, whatever you want to do, that's what we're going to do, you know? <laughs> and so depending on how you're feeling, you, and you call whichever one you want the right answer from, right? And so it's kind of like that in business and in, in, in life in general. You have different segments of people that you're surrounded with. And if your goal is to be all things positive or find that motivation, you can't be around a lot of people who are in the same boat you're in because they don't have the wherewithal to bring you back up. So you got to find people who are where you are, above where you are, and maybe some that are below where you are so you can pull them up as well. And I think when you have that, you have a well-rounded life and, and it sets you up to get the things that you want. Mm, thank you so much. And, you know, I think you represent that. I feel very lucky to have talked to you. And I think there are probably a lot of women who listen to this conversation and feel truly inspired by the way you show up and your fearlessness. I think that really stuck out for me. And it it helps all of us see that we can be bolder. We can be even more fearless than we think we're being. Absolutely. And, and, and it may not come by physical praise. Which is, oh, good job. You may not get that all the time. And sometimes we look for that. And if we don't get it, we equate that with, oh, my God, I must be doing a bad job. Or, you know, I didn't get the raise I thought I was going to get. So I must have really sucked. It doesn't necessarily mean that because raises are not really fair and equitable and balanced. It's subjective. Right. And so if Bob doesn't like the way you're wearing your hair today, Bob might determine you're going to get one percent versus 10 percent because he likes Joe's style over there. You never know. You know what I mean? So you have to pay attention to the fact that so long as I gave it all I could, even in marriage, even in you know careers, if you've given it all you can give it, that's got to be good enough at some point. Whether society checks off on it, he checks off on it, or the boss checks off on it, you got to know that for yourself and believe that. And that's empowering. Thank you so much, Rashida. (laughs) Thank you. I'm so excited that you had me on. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in. Rashida's energy, I feel like, was on fire. It was so much fun to interview her. It was so much fun to listen back to this episode as I was editing it. And I'm going to link her podcast below. Check it out and support her work. I will link her website. And a big thanks to Rashida for sharing her stories and her wisdom and for inspiring me and I think hopefully inspiring all of you. And if you want to go deeper with my work or with the show, there are a couple ways to do that. One is to work with me one-on-one, as I mentioned at the start of the episode, and I'll link below in the show notes where you can learn more or book a free call to talk to me and tell me about your issues and see if coaching could help you or understand better how it could help you. I will link that below. And there's also a bunch of free resources. There's a Facebook group, which I'm going to be posting more in. And you can follow me on Instagram. I don't, I have troubles with Instagram. I'm on the Instagram struggle bus because it's too much to explain quickly, but I just feel 
Like it's not so good for our brains, but it's a really helpful place to connect. So like I'm very conflicted about there. <laughs> that's a really, wow, that's really persuasive. I'm like, come follow me on Instagram, but I hate it and I never post. Anyway, <laughs> I would love to say hi to you. So, you know, all in all, check out the free resources in the show notes and please don't hesitate to send me a message or join the Facebook community and make yourself part of this incredible group of women that listen to the show. Okay, so that brings us to the end. I hope that you're doing well and I will catch you next week.